my oh my goodness. <gasps> do you have any tattoos? I do, yeah. What are they? Well, you haven't really seen me with my shirt off. <laughs> Ooh! Um, Good start. Welcome to the Foreign Or Podcast. A look into the lives of expats, migrants, aliens, and everything in between. Each episode, I pick one foreigner and cross-examine that individual to try and determine if they're really all that different. This episode, I talked to Ninja Rob, a real person who showed me how to throw knives. <laughs> hey, my name is Rob Worth. Uh, I live in China. I've been teaching martial arts, leatherworking, and a lot of cycling. Okay, so now there's some kind of music. one for you so i saw these guys in shanghai at a festival and they're called jiobao like nine treasures pretty sure they're mongolian but they do like metallica covers they were so fucking cool like that's not really my genre of music if i was to choose i wouldn't be like i love heavy metal but those motherfuckers headbanging throat singing in mongolian (laughs) something very masculine about it i remember when i first moved to the tibetan side of chengdu uh there's this guy and he's throat singing over the river that runs down by you know where the wanli how that you know where jabar is yeah jabar yeah yeah so along the river there he was just throat singing and it was it's just so heartfelt he was just he was putting his everything into it to the point where i had to stop and just listen that's that's badass. There's, there's something very unique about that style. Let's start from the time that you were alive the first time. Okay. You... I remember opening my eyes right. and seeing these giants. Mm-hmm. The one hit me really hard. Yeah. And then I did a roundhouse kick. <laughs> and where did where did that happen? The doctor's face. Uh, Toledo, Ohio. I went to school. School, elementary, high school, junior high, even college, all at the lovely town of Toledo, Ohio. Uh, let's see, where do we where do we start the interesting bits? <laughs> my first kiss, <laughs> nah, my first car. Did you imagine that you would be living in Tendu, China? Did you imagine yourself living abroad when you were growing up? So my my father was in. Uh, the Navy, mm. right? And he and my grandfather was uh, was in the Navy, and my uncle was in the Navy. Wow. <laughs> and for all of these, they had, um, and my other uncle was in the Army. And <laughs> basically, I've, I've had, I come from a military-ish family. Mm-hmm. Um, my father, he was a drill sergeant. Mm. Um, he used to get into people's faces and, and yell at them, and it kind of defines kind of upbringing I had. Yep. Um, 
I could imagine. But what that did for me is I had a lot of stories of people that went abroad and had these little adventures and the stupid shit that they did, uh, you know, and, and, and interesting things that they've seen. And part of me is, and I also was always a, kind of a, an imaginative kid and I get lost in my head and a uh, really big fantasy fan. So there's always, there's always this journey, this travel involved, you know, and I always saw myself as going out and exploring and finding things and um, even as a little kid, I, I would, even around like my neighborhood, I would just like go start walking through the woods and I'd let my imagination carry me away, you know? So I always knew that I'd, I'd leave, um, and go quote unquote exploring. And a lot of that I think had to do with the influence from my, uh, my family. And how often do you get to see them? Like what is going home? I, I'm a horrible family member. I don't <laughs> like... <laughs> What's the longest stint that you've been away? Oh, I think the longest I've been away was like the first three years I was in China. I hadn't gone home. And shame on me for that. I mean. Yeah. I mean, you get caught up. You know what it's like. You get caught up abroad. You're like, this is my new life. I can choose my own identity and I want to do this. And then before you know it, your best friends, your family, these contacts start to slip from you. And then you start, the longer, I think this is probably the same for everybody, but the longer you go through life, the more you start cherishing the those old relationships, you mm-hmm. know, and those old memories, people that you have, uh, you went through a lot of changes with, which is why, you know, the people that you went to high school with and junior high, these, these people, they went through a lot of similar metamorphoses and changes throughout life. So you always kind of cherish that bond you have with them. I think... I'm getting ahead of myself, but I think like one of the things I learned by leaving is how much I can cherish uh, the original, my origins, you know, my home, and I can I can appreciate everything that that I had left behind in a sense, you know. I mean, I I have very fond memories, and in some ways they're even more fonder because I'm I've removed from them now. But we'll, we'll talk about this. Like when I first started training martial arts, because um, that started to define me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was about six. My dad started taking me to a martial arts class that he was interested in. That was a Korean martial art called Tang Sudo, mm-hmm. and he said he was training under a, a man named Stan Bojanowski, who, when I was training with him, he was an older gentleman, balding, beer gut, but. When, almost 30 years later, I met a guy who is a Taekwondo, 8th degree black belt, and in in an art, Taekwondo, you typically, uh, the top out is 10th degree black belt, and you really don't get that unless you're dead and everybody says, yeah, he was good enough. (laughs) So the guy was really good. He'd been been around for a while. He knew the martial arts scene in Toledo, and I told him uh, my original, my first instructor was Stan Wojnowski, and he says, oh, God, I remember Stan. I know Stan. And he said that they used to, in his first dojo, his first school, they would they would have classes around the corner of a biker bar. And when they got out of class, they would go see if what they learned worked. So they would go to the bar and start fights. What? There were people, yeah, so people with, like, knives and guns got pulled out. Um, it was a different, the 70s and the martial arts scene was a little bit different, man. Like, it was, it was like a cult. You know, most schools were were in basements and abandoned garages and just seedy, dark, sort of really tight-knit groups um, where 
<laughs> shit was a little bit more hardcore. <laughs> Why did he pick Toledo? Was that in your town? No idea. I mean, I was, like I said, I was like six years old. And Witness protection. <laughs> I mean, he's he's passed away, unfortunately. Mm. Um, but look, like I'll say, when you know, you see somebody where they are now, especially when you first meet them. You meet somebody who's like just a 67 year old mm. man. A lot of people they think, okay, you've always been this 67 year old or whatever. And then somebody tells you, oh, when he was 20, he used to pick fights, you know. Mm. And then it makes you think, like, well, how else did he change over time? Uh, like he was he was a baby, just like I was a baby. You were everybody was a baby. Everybody has to go through life and like you know have different stages in order through this crazy journey. I think you just did the like ending yeah. so deep, so, so was deep. That, was that too soon? All right, goodbye. All right, save that for later. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> that's, that's your takeaway. Go and apply that in your life. You're welcome. Wis- well. wisdom of Robbie. Um, worth wisdom. Hey, I should probably patent that. Yeah, yeah. And to be honest, to be completely honest, I, I wish I had stayed in it. I, I stopped training two years down the road. Um, my mom, I think my mom won some sort of battle with my dad because hmm. uh, he kept training. And I got into like Boy Scouts, started taking, started learning how to play the saxophone. And I, I kind of turned, I don't know, man, I don't, maybe I got into they wanted me to get into martial arts because I was kind of a little pansy to begin with. Um, but I, there was definitely a stage of my life where I was for a long time, very, uh, shy of conflict. You know, I, if any, any conflict, I would just, I wouldn't know how to handle myself. I and I think martial arts, all martial arts definitely helped with that eventually. And it wasn't because like now I know how to kick ass. It's more now I have confidence that I can hold my own, so I don't need to use it, you know, I, I, because I'm, I'm aware of a certain degree of ability of, of my of myself. Like I know I can. I'm not saying stand toe to toe with any punk or bully out there, but I was able to. I, I was more confident in my physical abilities, and that confidence bled through in other areas of my life. Win a bar fight, at least. <laughs> <laughs> in a biker bar, for sure. Yeah. Let's give a little bit of background. So I met Robbie when I went to China for the very first time. Fall of 2006. What a time. That was fun. Super fun. So I was 19. How old were you? I mean, I could already legally drink, but a lot of people couldn't. Was that your first experience abroad? When I was 12, my mother had a... Chinese friend who was an English teacher hmm. in her school. So my mom was a my mom's a history and science teacher, but they were really good friends. And he, he came up to her and said, I, "I'm part of this program. Well, I'm taking a group of students to a Chinese city for three weeks, or into China for three weeks." And he said, "I'd like to take your son because I want him to see the world or whatever. You know, this good opportunity." My mom said, "Okay." Anyway, so I went there for uh, three weeks. See, at this age, I was not as, like, just not aware of my own presence as much at that age. I think a lot of it had to do with this. Like, I wasn't, my brain hadn't really formed. And I was, like, an ADD kid who, instead of, I love my parents, but this is the one thing I wish that I would, they would have changed, is instead of forcing me to get even more involved and more physically active, I was medicated. 
so I think a lot of the medication just kind of affected my my moods and my awareness of my the awareness of myself because I can, I knew when I was coming off of it and I had to take some more and I would just I was I was just not very aware but I do recall being very very homesick um, the second week we were introduced to the family that we were staying with so I I was uh, introduced to this kid this Chinese student called Steven same age as me and it was in this very small small apartment how do I explain it for people who've not seen the world right because now I see it and I'm like okay it's kind of like camping you know, like the, when you walk in, it's it's the size. Their whole living quarters is supposed to be the size of like the living room mm. of the house I grew up in. Right? Mm-hmm. There's a small kitchen. There's a sm- an even smaller area where you sat down at the table with your eggs, manto, and boiled milk. Mm-hmm. In the bedroom that I was staying in, they gave me the master suite, which was tiny. It's like the size of most bathrooms, mm-hmm. but. Inside there was a TV and they had like a laser disc reader, so you know those giant discs. And I remember watching Twister on that to give you like an idea of the time. <laughs> it was because it was really cool that they had this. They had Twister the movie in Chinese subtitles. Wow. But, yeah. So, <laughs> um, I got the first night I stayed there. I cried. I just I, because I was so I was homesick. I wasn't ready for it. And I told you, like growing up, I was kind of a pansy. Um, but like the next, and then the next morning, I went to take a shower, um, and he tried to explain to me how the shower works, which sounds stupid. Like I know how a shower works, mm-hmm. but um, I was just looking at the bathtub while he was explaining the shower, and I would I figured it was the same thing. You know, it would be the same the same area, but no, they had a bathtub with like two inches of cold water in it, and then they had a shower off to the side, and there's a, a drain in the floor which for me was bizarre at the time. Now it's the same thing I have here in the apartment. But instead of using the shower, which allowed the water to drain into the floor, I took a like a bird bath in this cold water bathtub. Mm. And then they found out, like, well, what did you do? And, like, and they came over and he turned on the shower for me. And I'm like, oh, I'm an idiot. I just took a cold bath. <laughs> so that was my, my experience. I was just I was kind of a stupid kid. And what so, did you do no, other was, than take bird baths? Other than take bird baths, I well, we visited. So in the morning, um, we would get on a bus. We would go to <clears throat> visit schools, and like the schools would have kids who were studying English. They they take turns basically talking to us and exposing themselves to native speakers. Mm. And <laughs> you know when when. I had no Chinese, practically zero Chinese um, at the time. And again, I'm 12, so I'm a socially awkward kid. And people would ask me, oh, do you know Michael Jordan? Now, you you know Chinese. I know Michael Jordan. You know what they're asking. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm from Chicago. Everybody asks me the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Or do you know Michael Jackson? Or do you you know, like, what others, one or the other, um, like, Titanic was huge at the time. Mm. Titanic had just come out. So every school we went to, we heard that damn song. Oh. Um, they were like, welcome our foreign visitors. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, we have to hear this again. <laughs> That's amazing. So, you know some Chinese. So if somebody asks you, do you know? They're not asking, do 
and I wanted to be able to like travel the world without taking bottles with my name on it, if, you know, just like prescriptions and crutches. So, but at the time it was like, if you don't have this medication, you're not able to function. So I had to, I forced myself to get off of it. I never, mm. never took a medication again after that. I mean, no, nobody in my family really travels. That was like never really a thing that I grew up around. I think about whether or not to instill this in my own progeny, and I'm like, but what if they go away forever? Like, I'm sure your right. mom and your dad miss you so much. They do. They do. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I tell you, like, man, last time I talked to them uh, a week or so or more ago, I saw them on the video. I was like, when did you guys get old? <laughs> when did this happen? Oh, my God. You know, like, it's just oh so you start realizing, I have a finite amount of time. The older you get, you, you have friends and family members that pass away and are gone, and there's no there's no more opportunity to, like, contact them, you know, um, and tell them how, like, hey, mom, dad, I think you did a good job. Mm -hmm. You know, thank you for all the, you can start to see, especially, you know, I've been a teacher, and I see kids, and I see how, much of a pain in the ass kids can be and mm -hmm. how much of a challenge they are how much of a test they are and you have to be like god somebody should say thank you <laughs> probably you you know like, <laughs> <laughs> um but i was saying like on that note of like nobody we know growing up necessarily had lived or you know like lived long term really said like this is my home now mm -hmm. um and it's weird, it's weird going back, right? I mean, I don't know if you've had this, but like, I'll go back to uh, see my sister, and again, I love I love her. She's she's happy. She's married. She's got two kids, uh, two dogs, a house to put up a fence, and it's like the ideal what you're supposed to do, mm -hmm. right? And when I go back, and people say like I, I've been working. Uh, in the post office, as example, and I know, like, if I'm here for the next 20 years, I can look at this and this for retirement. Uh, it's a really good deal, and I'm like, man, that just sounds like that sounds like a stake in the ground, you know, mm -hmm. with a chain around your ankle. I'd so much rather have the insecurity of not knowing, always knowing where my money is going to come from, but the ability to travel and see the world and experience more of it. Um, I had the same thought, you know, my progeny or children. Um, if spawn, I would, I would spawn yeah, offspring. <laughs> <laughs> my ninja minions. Um, I, <laughs> so um, I would, I'd force them. I think like at, by by twenty five for sure, you should be traveling. You don't have a whole lot of obligations or responsibilities. Go fucking see the world. Mm. I think everybody should should travel so they can experience people as people. So did the USAP program, left, uh, finished my degree back home, and uh, finished my apprenticeship under my martial arts instructor. But I told myself that I would leave. I, I, I promised myself that I would leave to live abroad uh, and study more I try not to speak and say in Chinese more diligently study Chinese after I finish my apprenticeship. Hey, any Putonghua you want to throw in? This is like a bilingual space, you know, multilingual. Uh, Don't double think yourself. That's part of your vernacular, which is comes to my next question. How Chinese are you now? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> how 
opportunities in life. <laughs> uh, Are you like looking at yourself? Hmm. Yeah. Like, like look around your apartment. I understand that you're dating a, a Chinese girl. Yes. Um, yeah, I've been, we've been dating three years now-ish. Do you hold her purse? Um, no. She was very international. Like she had done a lot of like travel around the world before we met. I think the biggest challenge, and to be very direct um, and specific like that, is I'm always going to be an expat. Mm. I'm always going to be a foreigner. Mm. Um, I, it's something that I I try to get across to like I, I right now I manage two gyms in Chengdu. And that's that's a challenge because we had to close down. We had we had limited operations. I mean that's that's a challenge for anybody anywhere. But as a foreigner, mm-hmm. um, I'm always going to be a foreigner. I've been here for eight years, and I uh, like I tell this. To, I, I remember telling this to my students when I was a teacher um, and my colleagues forever. It's like if I saw you, and I'm pointing to a Chinese person who obviously is Chinese. I, it's like if I saw you walking down the street in my hometown, I'd automatically assume you were American. I wouldn't. There's nothing that would let me know otherwise until you started talking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I would assume that you could speak perfect English. That mm-hmm. you you sounded like me. That you could vote. That you had all the same citizen rights that I have. Mm-hmm. But in China. I walk down China, like, you're not Chinese. It's very obvious mm-hmm. that I'm, I'm going to have a language barrier or I'm going to have a cultural differences. Even though I've been here for so long, it's never going to change. Like the other day, I'm riding my bicycle back home and in my apartment complex. During this time, all these kids are, they're not at school. They don't have any after school programs either. Everything's closed down. So these kids are running around playing, which is awesome. But as I ride my bike by, they're all screaming, la why, la why, la why. You know, they're like talking to each other. And I'm like, hmm, there's a point in time for every foreigner in China. I guess I have to understand it. I have to accept the fact that I am obviously different from them. Yeah, I think that's, that's not just specific to the foreigner thing, but like I've never before experienced people saying the obvious. Mm. You know, like, it's just, like, making a statement. About, like, if somebody's tall, you know, like, the first time you meet them, you tell them they're tall. Mm-hmm. It's like, they know, man. <laughs> you don't need to, they, 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 they know. You know they're, they're, they have neck problems because they have to look down on everybody. They know they're tall. Um, <laughs> I think the first time I ran into this was when I was a teacher, and there was a bunch of kids, maybe 10, 12 years old, and uh, we're teaching adjectives, and the word fat came up. And everybody points to the one kid in the classroom what? and says, he's fat. <laughs> you know, and like in America, that kid would have like mental issues later in life. But here he was just laughing. He's like, yeah, I'm fat. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like everybody knows it's the obvious. Um, look, like, I'm very American still, you know, like I'm very sort of the, the middle finger is kind of describes the citizen of being American, you mm. know, like just saying screw you to the third authorities and I, I i'm all about that like that right to say fuck you to the government right mm. and in china you can't do that nope but the nope <laughs> but the pros i have to be honest there's a pro to the pro to that is that shit gets done man like you if, if the government says gotta do this the government's gotta happen 
you know, if the government says close down, people are not going to be happy. But there's also a bit of resignation within the general community in China where they're like, yeah, well, government says I got to do this, so I got to do this. You know, I'm staying home for the next week or next month and a half. Like, look, I'm also a supporter of firearms, and I don't want to get into that too much. But like I said, I got from a military and hunting background, like family, <clears throat> and. Uh, I've worked jobs before I came to China. I was security, armed security. Uh, so I carried a gun. And I'm, I'm a big supporter of that. But let's be honest, the in order to have those certain rights, there's risk. You know, there's risk and dangers that come with it. And I, I can see both sides of it now. You know, I can see where having a, a government that says, you do this, and people say, okay, no, no, no choice, I'll do it. And then the other hand is being in a society where you, you have the risk of being able to tell the government to go fuck itself. In those words. It's interesting. Very interesting. In those exact words. <laughs> so the last time I saw Robbie, I brought along my significant other, and we had a grand old time drinking whiskey on your rooftop. Which is quite lovely. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, had a nibble. I think we barbecued. And then Robbie goes, do you guys want to see my knife collection? <laughs> and I was like, collection as in more than one? Yeah. I learned how to throw knives from this having, man. Yeah, I had a, uh, I had a tabletop set up, essentially like a, a couple inches thick piece of wood. Um, those were, those are just throwing knives. So basically just like pointy pieces of metal. Yes, some throwing knives. Um, just, just, I just had them laying around the house. I mean, there were, there had to yeah. be at least, there were definitely over 10. You know, it was, re- oh yeah, yeah. I, I still have them. I just, I don't have the space to do that anymore. <laughs> um, you know, it's just sad. I haven't thrown knives in a while, but it's, it's part of that style of, of knife throwing is part of the martial arts that I do. So mm. I, I needed to become more polished at that tell me more about the martial arts that you are now teaching and practicing so i teach i teach a martial art called ujinkan budo taijutsu that's a mouthful <clears throat> we, we just typically just call it taijutsu okay um and i like to refer to it as taijutsu because i have rank in the the organization that is called the Bujinkan. I have a 10th degree black belt. Um, but I've, I don't, I (laughs) I don't consider myself like a a strict student of the Bujinkan. Like I have rank in that, but I consider the art that I, that I teach and train in to be Taijutsu, which is a little bit more inclusive. So it'd be like saying Christian versus Protestant, like a general encompassment of the idea rather than a particular sect. Hmm. Um, the guy that I align myself directly under is actually an American, also by the name of Rob, in in Japan. He's been there for about 14 years. He goes to a lot of, almost all of the, the higher-up teachers' classes, and then he kind of translates that into a more free way of moving without you know a bit more of a hands-on application sort of way of applying the techniques i don't want to get too far into this with that because it's unless you're like you know a, nerd a real unless you're nerd. a nerd yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're, nerd. you're not gonna really not gonna mean a whole lot but basically i'll say it like this imagine if you are training 500 
farmers how to stab a horse to death and get the rider off of it and then kill that guy. And they have to do this tomorrow. Hmm. And you don't teach them the nuances of sensitivity and of unarmed combat. Hmm. You know, what you do is like, here's a stick. I need you to shove this stick in this end of the stick into the ground and stand here. Right. Mm-hmm. And get the pointy end into the bad guy. Mm-hmm. So you have to start with that mentality of here's the kata, here's a form. And it looks like this. Be able to do that. If you're able to do that, then you have the, the musculature, the physical ability to do that. Then you should be able to hold yourself in, a, in kind of a fight. As long as the other guy doesn't know what he's doing, you should be okay. Right. And that's what, that's what became the scrolls. The scrolls were a foundation of physical abilities. Uh, you need to be able to do a horse dance to strengthen your legs or whatever, you know, but a lot of people would take those scrolls and they're basically teaching tools. They're like a lesson plan. And they take that as truth and doctrine of, you know, like, this is how it must be. This is, there's no variation from this. Like, look, that's the foundation. You need to be able to train variation, sensitivity, and you don't know what's going to happen. It's a fight. Most fights last for seconds, and you can't be stagnant in that. So forms and they're they're good. They're a good foundation, but a lot of people will get so good at that form. They'll be so good at saying A B C D E F G, saying their ABCs, but never start to spell words. Never start to string together sentences. Mm. How are they supposed to write poetry if you're still on your ABCs? So that's um, what I try to I try to keep that mentality when I train. That's what I try to instill in my students as well. And you said that this is originally a Japanese martial art. Yeah, yeah, it still is. I mean, like the Grandmaster, um, he's just retired, just retired. Uh, yeah, he's Japanese and. Basically, like within the Putin Khan, if he says tomorrow, like we all have to wear ten hats, and this is why, you know, okay, I'm sure there'll be people that do it. Wow. <laughs> so it's it's still very Japanese. Um, it came from different schools, at least three of which are ninjutsu, and the rest are pretty much samurai based. Sure, <laughs> I'm just gonna have to take your word on that one. Of course. There is a lot of ignorance, and I would be interested in hearing your take on how, you know, if martial arts or whatever, these poses are the letters, then how illiterate the population is on defending themselves. Myself included, like maybe I've watched some things on YouTube, maybe I've seen, maybe I've taken some kind of like self-defense for women, and it's basically like, in the groin! (laughs) You know, so like, I've got, I've got that soft tissue (laughs) target hit it more than once. But you're, 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 um, look, I, so I think every, just about every guy when they start to take in martial arts is I want to be able to kick ass. Like there, there is that reason. (laughs) And I've I've been studying since I was six years old. And I think I actually, I started because my, my dad said, you're doing this. I'm like, okay. But (laughs) When I became older, like kind of like your brother, I, I made a conscious decision to, to start training. It was, I want to be able to kick ass. And now I can see that there's so many more reasons to do martial arts. You know, mm. you don't study to be a painter. Not everybody studies to be a painter because they feel like they're going to paint the new Sistine Chapel. 
Mm. You know, not everybody trains in martial arts that they can, that they're preparing for that life and death heroic moment of their lives. There are so many reasons. Like you gain so much by endeavoring to become better at something. Mm. I think a lot of people see martial arts and they don't, they forget that it's, there's two words in that phrase, martial and art. Um, you, you need to be able to understand both sides of that. Uh, an endeavor of any art allows you to, to persist, to pursue, and become sharper and better at something. And that in itself is a journey, and there's a reason to do that. If people see just the martial aspect, then they're looking at the end goal of fight. But there's there's the, the day-to-day grind that is so much you can get so much more out of that because if you go into the martial arts school or you're on the floor at the dojo and you're only there to learn how to kick ass you're gonna start pissing people off you know especially your training partners now like hey man i'm trying to figure something out could you not try to tear my shoulder out of its socket Hmm. so i can figure something out you know like Mm -hmm. if you're always there for blood then you're not going to get the the benefits of the long-term journey I feel like there's every time you say these things, there's like a wake, like a verbal wake in the airways. I'm just like, let him finish. <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. I never thought well, it's totally too the... parallel path. Yeah. Now I say that, I say that and like, I, you can't, you can't neglect the other end either. You should be able to experience the martial art as an art form, as an expression of your, of, of self. But if you, disregard the martial aspect then you become the nerd that doesn't know how to hold himself up in a fight or that look man this is this is an art yes but it's an art that's derived from learning how to kill people or surviving people trying to kill you if you if you disregard that then you're you're only looking at 50 percent of it you can be um in today's modern usage of the term martial arts you could be a martial artist without being a fighter and you could be a fighter without being a martial artist. Mm. The way I want to see is you should be able to do both. So, like, I've seen a lot of people, including people that travel to Japan from around the world, they, they can't touch their toes. You know, I don't even know how they, they get out of bed. They're in wow. horrible shape. Um, I've seen people that could not run a mile mm. in their 15th degree black belts. So, wow. that, like, how do you become... You, you have to understand, like, the, the way Bujinkan, Budo, Taijutsu translate, we're just focused on the Budo Taijutsu. Budo means uh, warrior way. Uh, mm. In Chinese, it would be Wudao. Mm. And then Taijutsu is uh, Tishu, tishu uh, which means body skills. Mm. So the characters translate as warrior way body skills. Mm. It's a focus on the body. If you're not paying attention to what you eat, you're not paying attention to like your reflexes and your ability to control the situation around you, your flexibility, your strength, your own uh, personal athleticism. Hmm. Then you're ignoring. Like, look, if if I have a sword, or if I, even if I have a gun, let's make it more modern. Yes, it can go bang, bang, bang when I shoot it. But if I shoot it, it goes bang, bang three times, then it falls apart because of lack of maintenance, hmm. or it's been rusted, or it's just a piece of shit. That's not as useful as a tool as it could be, is it? Or useful as a weapon, I should say. And a lot of people in the martial arts are focused on the art more so than the martial. And why did you not pursue Kung Fu? 
Why did you not go to China and study from the Chinese masters? What What's not <laughs> so, to love about Kung Fu? So I'm, I, I, Kung Fu is awesome. Actually, there's, as I'm saying this about the martial and the art, there's recently a lot of old school, legit Kung Fu practitioners that are entering cage fights and holding their own. Whoa. But they're not doing fucking Tai Chi. They're doing like what the monks would have studied and how they would have trained before they put a Starbucks in at the temple. You know, this, you're this, kidding. Uh, I, I don't think, no, you know, like, like, no, no, for real. Like a lot of like the, like the Shaolin temple is a fucking tourist joint. joint um, place. What? Um, yeah. So it's not like what you think. I mean, it, do they have the athleticism and the flexibility? Absolutely. Can they hold their self in a street fight? Mm. Uh, <laughs> now, some people can. There's definitely people that are that are starting to become a bit more mainstream. They're like, yes, this shit works. <laughs> but you need to train like a fighter. You know, like people that go into the UFC. It, look, I remember when the UFC was younger, actually before it even started, I had a buddy that did cage fights, and I would talk to him. I'd be, how I was fighting? He's like, I haven't fought in a while, but I'm starting to get kind of hungry. I don't have any money to buy food, so I guess I need to sign up for a fight. That's what it used to be. Wow. You know, now you can't do you can't do that shit anymore because people have sponsors. Like you are mm. training eight hours a day for months with various instructors that are in, in nutritional experts that are like you you're a you're a team. You're like you're like everybody's focusing on your ability to enter the ring and that's a full time position. So if you want to use kung fu in the ring you need to train like one of those guys, you know, mm. otherwise you're, you're just, you're an enthusiast. But yeah. is, 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 is Kung Fu dead in China? <sighs> Not entirely. Uh, I imagine my surprise when I was a kid and I always wanted to study Kung Fu and I wanted to do it in China. And I come here and I asked the chaperones of the group, like, where can I study China, uh, Chinese Kung Fu? And he, I told him, I want to learn this Kung Fu. And he's like, okay, I'll let me do some research there. And he came back. He's like, yeah, the people that I can find that teach this style of Kung Fu, um, they're not in this city. And they're like a plane trip away. And oh. I was seriously like, okay, how do I get on an airplane to go do this? Like, mm-hmm. that's, that's how dedicated I was at the time. And even when we did we did the USAC program, I, I was asking, there was a guy, I forgot his name, and I was like, I want to sign up for fights here. Like I want to get into this the circle of of fighting. I want to I want to start getting into fights, and it just it just didn't exist. Wow. Uh, the this is this is the biggest letdown. Kung fu traditionally in China is where the the kids the poor kids would be signed up to like a kung fu school, and the kung fu school was a way that they they taught them. Um, they taught them how to take care of themselves, how to fend for themselves. They taught them how to exist inside of a, a structured society where, you know, like you, you tended to the farms or whatever, like you, you produced your own food. You had, you were a part of a machine and this is what the families would, they don't have money to send their kids to school. So they drop their kids off at the martial arts school. And the, the deal was you have my kid to per- perpetuate your martial arts school hmm. and then, 10 years, 10 years or so, he comes back a man or whatever or what have you. Be and a man. So, Sorry, I had to bring it in. Come on, <laughs> come on. Great song, great movie. <laughs> but then 
as China became more and more international, more and more education based, it was no longer. It, what's what's the benefit of being good in kung fu, right? Mm-hmm. It's so instead won't get you into like, college. You Yes. They don't care if you know Kung Fu at Harvard. So um, Kung Fu schools started to die. And the other thing is during the Cultural Revolution, a lot of the top Kung Fu practitioners and teachers, that their identity and their livelihood was Kung Fu schools, they fled China. They they left. They went to different parts of Europe and America. Hmm. Some of the best Kung Fu schools... Unfortunately, no longer in China. So last time I saw you, you were just come back from some epic race that you were flown into Mongolia, Tibet. You were in Tibet, right? Tibet. Yeah, yeah. This was would have must have been the second time I participated in this Tibetan race. So yeah, mountains, mountains, but you're on a road bike, right? You're on a racing bike, but the uh, no. So for the Tibet, the Tibet race was a mountain bike race. And how long? Uh, it's a two day. So it's a two day endeavor. Basically, there's like the first is this little village called uh, Basongchua. Uh, so that we get flown out to uh, Lingzhi, and then we drive to Basongchua for like hours. Hmm. besides you and this middle-aged man that's clearly whooping uh, you basically it starts off there's like a women's group and then there's a men's group uh, the men's group all starts at the same time but in that group there is like the elite mm. uh and then there's like the people that are just there for fun is the, they finish the race and they're happy there's also just like the like a senior citizens you know like they they're uh they got beards down to their belts wow and they're awesome you know it's fine we we have we're uh, sponsored to be part of it so like we don't get any money to go there but we get maybe all expenses paid and the first time we went out they also took us to the Batala palace which wow. is just beautiful uh so there's one other thing that i learned that you got into leather working which is i think to be an old man hobby 
and I'm very curious to know what moved you to take on this hobby. So I started getting into it a little bit more recently because I had some time <laughs> on my hands. Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, I'm going to try, I'm going to try leather work. Why not? I got mm -hmm. some time and I sit down and, and do some stuff. And I found out I just like it. Like, I know it's kind of an old man thing, as you say, but so some of some of them, some of the stuff I made have patterns. But some of it is I I have an idea in my mind, and then I have to put that onto a piece of paper, draw it in three D, and then take each individual unit from that idea, break it down into like sheets, and then find a way for them to all fit together, and then like glue it together and hand stitch it. So like that, that itself is like, it's a creative process that I get a lot. I think anybody, if you have an ounce of creativity in you and you're not utilizing that, you're, you're ignoring, you're, you're missing out on the, the feeling of accomplishment through creative process and you're missing out on life, man. And so it's, it's weird. I live down the street from a leather market in Chengdu oh. and in hindsight, all other stuff is kind of shit <laughs> like because it was but it was perfect for starting off it was perfect to be like okay what do i need let me get some of this shitty leather mm -hmm. some of this, some of these shitty tools and see what i can do it's just so something went off in my head i'm like all right i gotta i want to i gotta start spending some time and money in on this and then i went on Taobao and i found like uh the american brand uh tools and Japanese craft tools and Italian leathers, um, different styles of tanning that the, the local market, you just can't because one, it's not like it's temperature or moisture controlled in these, these markets. It's and some of the leathers have been sitting there for a long time. Hmm. Um, but when I got on, on Taobao and I started <laughs> learning new Chinese, because every time you go into it, like a new endeavor, you have to learn the language to support it. Right? Yes, um, yes. And then it's just, it feels accomplishment-y. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I'll give it to you. <laughs> um, I get mo so much more of a thrill. Like, if I don't have an order, um, I, I don't really have the drive to, like, create something, mm -hmm. you know? But what I, I, like, I just did a wallet with, like, a dragonfly stamp on it. Mm little like one inch by one inch dragonfly and but to him now i'll tell you the backstory the grandmaster of bujinkan that's how i know this guy um the, the grandmaster during his classes in the middle of his class he'll do calligraphy for the students anybody who wants to like have calligraphy done or like a small piece of art done hmm. they'll give him a blank canvas and he'll just doodle something on it real quick and say here you go that's for you <laughs> and uh, this guy who got the wallet from me, uh, the grandmaster, he, he just put down a piece of like canvas in front of him and said, whatever you, I don't know, whatever you want to do. The guy drew a dragonfly, right? Mm -hmm. So when he says, I want a dragonfly, and he showed me the picture of the art that the grandmaster did for him. He's like, this is why I want a dragonfly. I'm like, okay, cool. I can see, I can, I dig. So when I'm doing something that means something for somebody else, I'm so much more interested in doing it. Like I have people who say, I want a belt. I'm like, okay what makes your belt special? You know, mm -hmm. like, um, I sit down in front of somebody. Ideally I could have a face to face conversation with somebody. It's like getting a tattoo. Mm -hmm. like, what do you want? Okay. How are you going to use it? What, you know, what, what does it say about you? you? 
what's to say about you exactly, mm-hmm. you know, and like, why, why this product? And then I sit down, I have to put this person in my mind, um, think about them as I'm, as I'm making their, their, uh, custom art, you know? Do you have any tattoos? I do. Yeah. Got an old, like an ancient Chinese poem over my right shoulder. It's about a swordsman who's been preparing for, preparing for battle basically. And then he asks, where is there injustice? In Chinese calligraphy? And like old ancient Chinese, like oh. normal people can't read it. That's so dope. <laughs> I, uh, I had a guy, one of my uh, best friends in Chengdu is a tattoo artist. And he even told me, he's like, I found these characters. This is the original script that it was written in. He's like, you can't find this even online. I had to, I had to find books specifically to look for these characters. So let me just wrap up this whole thing um, sure. by asking you, what is your plan? When are you coming back? Are you going to be there forever? What is it about plans with you people? <laughs> get off my back. Yeah, no, I get you. Like, one of the things I've recently, I've really had, especially since being in a long-term relationship, and we got to sit down and be like, okay, what do we, what's what's our, what's our next step? Because mm-hmm. I've been avoiding that conversation with myself for so long. It's mm-hmm. easy when it's just yourself. Mm-hmm. When you have somebody else in the equation, you've got to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. And, um... So you don't have an outro date? Because you know how it nah. is. People get there, they say, a year, two years. Okay, I definitely would not go over yeah. five years. And so there's this... Uh, That's pretty much exactly how it went for me, yeah. Like we discussed, it's tough to stay. But it's also really hard to leave. It's hard, it's absolutely. And also, you have to be like, having lived here for going on eight years now I, I have i have networks i have i know people i i know what i'm going to do like we were saying like what was it like what's it like towards foreigners like to be honest like the market that i go to to buy food everybody knows me they they, they know i live there i'm i'm local to them like they know i speak i can speak their language mm-hmm. they talk to me and they they know what work i do so they, they ask me about my job <clears throat> and that's awesome you know and some part of that is really cool but I think that if I were to raise children, that conversation has definitely come up between myself and my girlfriend. We both don't really want the children living here. One, I want my kids to be able to, like me, have a similar upbringing where my mom said, get outside. I don't want to see you until it's dark. Mm. You know, And if they fall over, they fall on dirt. Mm. Yeah, if they... You know, they, they, I want you to come back dirty, not with like pieces of glass and brick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. I want my my uh, children to experience uh, some degree of nature. And then on the other hand, is the education system for the Chinese education system is still kind of test based and competitive based, and for and understandably so, because of the the demand they have for like limited seats in different educational institutions. Mm-hmm. They have to be like you have to test out of it or test into it, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to be good at taking tests. But I think, come on, if you're eight years old, you should be really having fun and learning how to be creative and how to have social interactions with others. And mm. I mean, you have about a month on your visa. Yeah, there's that. Um, 
I mean, yeah. there's there's a lot to you. So I feel like you're not doing anything that's not uh, transferable. But it's this addition to your DNA that I think is the hardest thing to ignore. Yeah, I think. Or leave. Uh, I think to, to comment on that, you ever meet the foreigner that lives in China? He's been here for like twelve years and doesn't speak any Chinese. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, like we've all met that person. Mm-hmm. Like, how can, why do you say ni hao? Why do you talk like that? Like you've been here forever. You learn how to say it right. You know. Um, <laughs> and one of the reasons why I decided to do the martial arts thing for not do like English teaching for so long is because I was trying to not be defined as a quote unquote foreigner here. And not that there's anything wrong with being a teacher. I think there's a lot, there's a huge percentage of uh, professional teachers that come here and that's what they love to do. They came here specifically to teach and that's how they want to spend their life is teaching. That's awesome. But I also think there's a lot of people, like myself included, that came here teaching as a means to get out, as a means to already get into the the country. And then they just never made a conscious decision to change that. So they might not be teachers at heart, but it's easy enough. I don't need to think anything about it. I'm just going to kind of keep doing what I'm doing. Me, I wanted to to push myself, wanted to try something different. I I have these conversations, as everybody does, with myself. Um, and that's like, man, I gotta be a white belt at something. I always need to be a white belt at something. Like I recently picked up a guitar during this, this like quarantine time. I've always wanted to learn a guitar. I used to play the saxophone. Um, but for whatever reason, I never got to it. And I'm like, I've got a lot of time on my hands. So I picked up an electric guitar for like 300 RMB and I'm a white belt again. I always need to be a white belt. If I'm not a white belt, then I've stopped learning. If I've stopped learning, I might as well start dying. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is your daily dose of worth wisdom. Check out foreign-or.com to learn more about Ninja Rob. Subscribe to our newsletter to get more stories from foreigners. Follow us on Instagram and wherever you are. Wherever you are. Wear your face mask like a ninja warrior.